Hello and welcome to the Financial Classroom with Will, Tim, and Jules, where three friends believe that the American dream is built by living within your means. Listen as we discuss how to build wealth, live frugally, and attack life with a financial plan. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Financial Classroom Canada. Man, it has been a while for me. Um, I guess for us, uh, I was yeah, gone. Yeah, to, for all of us. I was gone to Asia for just under a month there. And uh, I guess we ended up just taking a little break, uh, which is fine. Um, yeah, it's good to be back. How are you guys doing, Tim and Eric? Yeah, not too bad. Been pretty busy with school. I'm currently a CPA candidate, so that's been nice and uh, time consuming. I know Tim mm-hmm. understands that from, from from prior studies. So mm-hmm. do I ever? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah those those modules really take your time over you forget uh just how much time it consumes before you're out of it or mm-hmm. in the meantime but anyways yeah tim how about you yeah yeah not too crazy um but a lot has happened in terms of just like you know federally and you know the the federal budget came out recently um there's there's been other stuff not related to the federal budget which we'll get into in the podcast but yeah, a lot's been going on in terms of government benefits is, uh, and things like that. Tim is all business, no bro talk at all. All business, yeah. Just ask how he's doing, and he just says not a whole lot going on, but there's a whole lot going on with the federal budget, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, if there's not a lot going on, I can only talk to so much, hey? I mean, <laughs> That's fair. I can tell you what I'm like eating for breakfast or something like that, but... <laughs> fair enough. Got a smoothie enough. and a latte here. Good enough. Um, Okay, yeah. well, if we're going to get right into business, let's get right into business. Um, mm-hmm. Today, we will be talking about the general federal budget uh, in terms of uh, Canadian federal budget. So if you're a U.S. listener or, I don't know, we have listeners from like Australia and some random other countries. Um, sorry, you can just skip over this episode because it probably doesn't relate to you because it's more uh, Canadian related. But with that said, uh, I will be the one kind of asking the questions today while eric and tim uh the one cpa guy and the other one trying to aspiring cpa will be answering these questions uh since it relates to them well it's their job i guess guess, to pay attention to these changes i just live in it uh so uh yeah okay so i think the first order of business um the biggest thing that was introduced in terms of that affects a lot of people uh that never bought a house is the FHSA the first time the first time home savings account except basically um so yeah. one of you guys want to talk about what the FHSA is I know in previous episodes we kind of mentioned the FH FHSA yeah. man I feel like TFSA rolls out the tongue a little better <laughs> than the FHSA uh yeah or so, RSP yeah so. there you go but uh, maybe I'm just not used to it but I, I personally won't ever qualify that for this uh, I don't think Tim will too, but Eric, you're in the position. I mean, you could if you decided to, like, you know, sell Rent your house and start years. renting for five years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah but we'll guess, we'll get um, into that more. But I don't think that will be me down the road. Um, so, Eric, we'll I don't know. I think you'll go bankrupt. <laughs> yeah, Tim, I'll, I can live on the kinda... streets for five oh. years. And... Oh, yeah. See, now Tim wants to bro talk. Now he doesn't. He's not all business all of a sudden. You know, uh, you got him going well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I yeah so, so Eric, I guess I'll ask down. you then, because this will affect you personally more. Uh, mm-hmm. FHSA, you want to just break that down quick? Uh, what is it? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Will. So I'll let Tim kind of go into depth after I've kind of gone into some basics here. But the so in general, it's called the first home savings account. Um, a lot of it, a lot of people might confuse it by calling it the first time home buyers. It's basically the same thing, but you'll recognize it online by the first home first home savings account or the FHSA for short. Um, so basically, it's a separate government savings account. Uh, federally. So this isn't anything provincial wise that you're really using. Um, But it's a separate account that you can use to put money away uh, for yourself uh, and or a partner of yours uh, to put away for the purchase of your first home. So um, this would be available to people to, you know, like if you're or not necessarily common law, but if you're common law or married with somebody, neither one of you can own a home within the past four years. So as Tim was kind of joking around previously, um, unless you're currently owning a home at the moment or you're in a common law type of situation to which um, your partner had owned, let's say, within the past year even, you wouldn't be qualified for it. So that's what what uh, Tim's joking point there was. If you wanted to maybe live on the streets or go and rent for the next five years, I mean, all the power to you on whatever you'd like to do. But that's the basis: is somebody who is uh, either gone for renting for a couple years, or maybe lived with their parents or something else, and they're looking to buy again, either by themselves or with a common law partner or a spouse that hasn't owned a primary residence in the past four years. Um, the other thing would be basically, why would someone use this? Um, the idea is, is most of the time when people go to buy a first home, the main cause of concern is, well, where am I going to put this money? And, you know, the interest, how am I going to earn, you know, extra interest on top of it to gain a little bit more cash for that down payment? Most people would think potentially um, just a regular high interest savings, or you might think an RSP because this is, because of the, uh, I can't remember the full name for some reason, Tim, I'm kind of blanking on that, but I think it's something to do with the home buyer's plan. Am I getting that correct? Yeah, yeah. The home buyer's okay. plan is the RSP right. one, yeah. Okay. And then you could also use your tax-free. I mean, either one of those three options work perfectly fine, um, but a lot of people would probably use their RSP because any money you would have had put away, uh, let's say, within the last five years or 10 or whatever the case might be, um, let's say you've got uh, $20,000 put away in that, you could you, you could use that money to or withdraw the full amount out of your RSP and use that for the down payment to the purchase of your first home, uh, while then actually having like a payment plan to, you know, put that money back into RSP instead of having to generally, you know, just come out of your wallet, I guess, in that case, out of a savings account in general. So not well, a bad then, option. Yeah, sorry. Go and ahead. the nice thing too is that you can use all three of these in conjunction with each other, right? right so like right. you can have money saved in your TFSA, you can have money saved in your FHSA, and you can have money saved in your RSP and like yeah. use all of them towards the down payment of your first house, which um yeah, so if you've like already got money saved up in your in your RSP and you're like, um, you know, I think I do want to take advantage of this first home savings account as well. You can, so you can take out, yeah, whatever, you know, your 35,000 from your home buyer's plan mm -hmm. and whatever you have saved in your FHSA. I but guess big point out of it too, that kind of has crossed my mind here. Um, the one thing, and I mean, I'll get to it in terms of, um, like how to contribute and everything afterwards, but, um, for the RSP, because there's a contribution limit to what you could do per year and there's specific room in that account taking out of your rsp and then later having that plan to recontribute back to it you're not going to have a read 
like applied deduction to the account because you've already applied that money to it unless it's money on top of that. So don't think of it as that you're taking money out and then you're going to get that additional deduction um, come tax season for what you've put back in in that plan. That 20000 you've taken out, that's just your obligation because that's what you're using as a method in order for your down payment. So just as an FYI, you can still use it to lower your income, but it's got to be a separate kind of side object or objective, sorry, uh, to what you're doing for um, a first home or what you could have done previously. So, right. um, so I think, I think what you're kind of saying there is that the home buyer's plan is basically a loan, right? Like you're loaning yeah. to yourself. I mean, in a way, yes, but I mean, and it's kind of nice because yeah, um, the one big thing about it too, is that with the FH, FHSA, see, it even gets me going sometimes here. Um, it goes, it goes where I was going to kind of talk about with contributions. So when you put money away into this home, first home savings account, it acts as a tax or a RSP when you put the money in. So when you throw that money in, which is a limit of, I believe it is for an individual $8,000 per year. So, I mean, you could, I think you could do whatever you want in the course of one year to contribute that money. I mean, it could be periodically you're putting in, let's say, $1,000 here and there until you add up to that $8,000 in that given time frame, or it could be one lump sum, whatever you'd like to do. Um, but when you put that money in, that's acting as like a separate deduction space, what you do with an RSP. So that will still mm -hmm. lower your taxable income, which is the amount that, you know, both uh, federally and provincially, wherever you are, uh, would lower what you would pay in taxes when it comes to kind of, you know, seeing how much money you made uh, within that given time frame previously. So, yeah, I was just going to say just um, just to like kind of give you a picture of like, I mean, we, we talk about deductions, right? And, and and they're great, but just like to be able to like give you a number in your head, right? Like right. if you're putting $8,000 into your FHSA, and you're in the lowest income tax bracket. So like here in Saskatchewan, um, that'd be, you know, 10.5% at provincially, 15% federally, right? So give or take 25% combined. So that's like 25% of that $8,000 that you put in that you're getting back as a tax deduction. So you're basically getting a free $2,000 each year. Which, I mean, that's pretty significant in my eyes. Um, but yeah, the nice thing about that Thank you for commenting on that, Tim. Um, so with the 8000 the one thing to keep in mind is that there is a lifetime deduction. And Tim, you can kind of go further into this as well if you'd like. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a maximum lifetime contribution of $40,000. Um, if you want to go more further into that as well, Tim, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So there's, yeah, like a lifetime maximum of 40000 bucks. So basically, you can contribute $8,000 per year um, up to five years. Now, the thing is, like, if you open up an account and you say contribute $3,000, uh, you maybe have $5,000 that you can carry forward into next year. But but the thing is, you can only carry forward up to $8,000. So if, uh, if you contribute $3,000 one year and then $3,000 the next year, like, you, you've basically forfeited some of that contribution room. Um, so, yeah if you aren't getting that back right um so that would so come out of your forty thousand dollars then so your forty thousand dollar total lifetime contribution would be down then like right maximum. yeah wow. yeah okay. so if you contribute three thousand dollars per year for five years 
Like you're going to contribute $15,000 over that time and you're never getting that other $25,000 back. Interesting. So I, I just yeah. want to point that out because there's a lot of accounts that you can carry over unlimited. For example, the, the tax-free savings account, if you don't use up the limit, it just carries for forever. Essentially, exactly. until you use it up. Uh, same with same with your Yes, uh, but correct, the difference, yeah. like for example, RESP, remember we did the RESP episode, we learned that mm-hmm. uh, you can only go back a certain amount of years to try and catch up, right, with your RESP. Right. So uh, this is actually a very good key for people who are trying to uh, get the FHSA. So is is it, I'm going to ask both of you guys this, is it only when you start contributing that that's what it counts? Like let's say if in year one, I never contributed anything into the FHSA. And the year two, then I put, I don't know, $8,000 in. Did I lose the year before or it's only when you actually start putting money in? Um, So that $8,000 would carry forward to your second year. Yeah. And then since you put that $8,000 in in your second year, like it's basically counting that as being applied against your first year carry forward. Mm-hmm. So then you can still carry forward that that second year over to uh next year i guess my question was does this start mm-hmm. immediately or does it only start the time starts only after you start opening the account and start putting money in i'm not a hundred percent sure but i'm fairly certain that uh that it's as soon as you open the account yeah okay is yeah. when that so i mean in that regard if you're yeah like if you're 18 and going to school there's a good chance that you um that you don't want to open that account because you probably aren't going to be able to contribute that full eight thousand dollars um yeah i mean unless and plus at that point like there's a good chance you're not going to need the like the deduction anyway really yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean so in other words kind of what tim's described so again thank you for going into depth on that thanks for the question Mm -hmm. well for that um if you've got the money, I mean, not everyone's going to have, you know, $8,000 sitting around each and every year, you're going to be able to do what you can do. But if you've got that money just sitting in an account somewhere, and you're and maybe you were in the markets last year, the last two years, you went, man, this is way too hot for me, I got to wait, I want to go rent in the meantime, or whatever the situation was. This, in my opinion, would be the perfect opportunity to be opening something like this, especially with all those interest rate increases. Now you can start looking into actually contribute, contributing into those accounts, taking advantage of that full AK deduction room and working towards that lifetime maximum. So yeah. that's the first part of it. The second part of it now um, is when you go to withdraw this money. So. I mean, I, I I haven't personally used it. My goal is to be using it. I do have a lump sum of cash that's sitting in a high interest savings uh, that I was, um, I guess, taking advantage of before this account came out. But when I, let's just say I had that account on me right now, if I were to go and remove that money from the account, the full, let's say 20000 like I said before in the example, um, when I go to remove that cash from this account, I will not be taxed on that that is acting as like my tax-free savings account where they're the government's going to allow you to remove all that cash from that account because it's for the full purpose of buying your first home now if you don't it, let's say you have the twenty thousand dollars that's sitting there for that, that first home but let's say you only use fifteen thousand well now you're going to have five thousand dollars that you would actually have to contribute back to the rsp because i believe that's a little trick into that right there tim something about if you don't use that full amount there's some sort of i guess tax implication with the rsp on that case 
Um, like if you end up withdrawing the money and not using not using the full or, amount that was in there. Yeah. 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 So in both the FHSA and RSP, if you um like withdraw money and don't use it towards the house, then it's gonna be uh it's gonna be taxed as income and you're gonna be subject to withholding tax as well. Yeah. So the government is gonna hold back some money and right. uh like you'll get to claim it on your tax return. But yeah. yeah. So basically look at this account. I wouldn't look at this as an investment account. I'd look at this as, no. or even a, you know, you, you're you're trying to make it cheaper for yourself or whoever you're partnering with to go into a house to make it more affordable for you and take advantage of a load of tax savings, basically for the following year. Um, that's basically what I kind of saw out of it. Um, but again, would, keep in, sorry, I keep would still try and grow the money, but I would yes, grow it very yes. conservatively, right? And, I, I, like it depends on your timeline too. Like yeah. if you're if you're in a situation where um, you open an FHSA and your parents are giving you eight thousand dollars every year to contribute to that, um, like your timeline still might not be for another ten years down the road. In which case, I like I would probably um, still be looking at uh, at like you know probably even putting some equities in towards the beginning. But yeah, like for for the average person, you probably aren't going to want to be investing in equities really it's you you'll want something safe like like you were saying like you know probably mm-hmm. you know gic's like maybe maybe bonds but even those yeah. aren't necessarily like the safest yeah, as we've right. seen through covid right so i i think we're just about ready to move on to other topics of the federal budget but just a few things that i want to uh bring to everybody's attention before we do that is uh, so as of today, April 22nd, I've been able to find three places that have the FHSA open. Uh, one of them is Quest Trade, one of them is Fidelity, and one of them is National Bank of Canada. Um, other banks and uh, uh, investment firms are working on getting these available, but these are the only three that I've seen that actually have it available at this point. Just one other thing I wanted to mention as well is that if you get to the end of the 15 years of having your first home savings account, uh, there's the option to transfer it into your RSP without using up any of your RSP room. So like, it's even pretty risk-free in that way. You aren't risking the idea of like, what if I'm never able to buy a house? What if the housing market blows up and even this $40,000 won't help me get a down payment? Um, you'll still be able to roll it into your RSP at the end and it's fine. So. Good stuff. Well, on to the next uh, topic here, changes. Um, again, this not all of these will apply to everybody. The next one is grocery rebate. Um, so this was introduced, uh, obviously, by the federal government. And so I guess with the cost of inflation and everything going crazy, the feds decided that uh, they want to help out with the groceries. See, I'm very back and forth with these type of like stuff because by them helping out, they're technically using more money and it kind of like defeats the purpose of you know quantitative tightening or etc whatever uh mm-hmm. so uh, i i don't know who wants to start but uh, the grocery rebate sounds pretty simple but what is it and uh who is it available to so i i can give a go on this again um so basically the grocery rebate is a sum of money that is given to you by the federal government as well mentioned uh to help assist with the cost of groceries basically the sole rule behind it is that it's solely based on income so if you are looking to be around uh that lower income threshold to where you already received the gst credit on a quarterly basis uh you would also look to be applying or be eligible to receive this rebate as well 
Um, it looks like if you are to, you know, in part of filing your taxes um, with that employment income, uh, if you're below that threshold, it looks like about an average family of four or more with two children, uh, you would receive roughly about $467 uh, for the rebate. Um, but if you were a single Canadian, it doesn't mention any kids in this perspective, but I would assume that they, you know, maybe a single parent with one or two kids. I'm not too sure. Um, you would be eligible for $234 in rebates. So again, uh, I, I think, you know, tax-free cash to be able to go and help with, like Will said, the cost of inflation for the rising prices and food and everything else, um, you know, just kind of help you give a little bit of a of a boost, I guess is the best way to say it, or some assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, anything to add there, Tim? I'll just ask, what yeah. is the GST level then? What income are we looking at? Uh, maybe Tim will know this. Oh yes, good. Yeah, good as question. a family, like, what are you? What are we talking about? Forty thousand dollars household income for a family of four, or like, it, like, what is what would be considered right. that GST credit area? So twenty twenty three in general. Um, well, this is Saskatchewan, so I guess federally, it was wasn't it around about forty eight thousand or so for the lowest tax bracket? Um. And on a federal basis, this is so for it, it, this is for families or for individual income because I'm I'm assuming that's going to be different. That would be this would be individual income. You're correct. So you would have to most likely combine that, which I don't really see a lot of where that's mentioned. But that's obviously a good thing to look into. I don't know if you combine that though, because that would be like a hundred thousand dollar household income. Right, right. Like I'm I'm certain that it would be. Well, and I also wonder if it's something to do with like maybe. Because I, I know a lot of other rebates or, or credits usually looks at whoever it's applied to. Uh, if you're in a household dwelling like that, it's usually applied to whoever makes a lower income, and then maybe it's sanctioned off of that bracket. I'm not 100% sure. It should be a household income thing, like a total. Yeah. No, I, it's 100% correct. Yeah. Okay, well, if we don't know, we don't know, right? We're not going to make up some. Yeah, no, it's just something to mention that that's there. Okay, um, I'm sorry, I just did a quick Look up here. Actually, it says that to qualify for the GST HSD credit, uh, uh, this is a website called Nerd Wallet. Since I'm reading directly from them, let's give them credit here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it says to qualify for the GST HSD credit, your adjusted net family income must be below a certain threshold, which for the 2021 tax year ranges from 49,166 to 64,946, depending on your marital status and how many children you have. I see. So, okay. cool. That answers yeah. that question. No okay. Yeah. Um, well, anything so, else to add, Tim, on your end? Um, I, I think like the only thing I would just add to that is that they call it a grocery rebate. Um, that's just gift wrapping for the f- idea that it's like a doubling of the GST credit. That's that's really all it is. <laughs> like it's it's political jargon, <laughs> you know. I I agree. Like what's what is two hundred and thirty dollars going to do for an individual for an entire year? right yeah like Like, i i mean i guess like you you could argue that like that might make the difference of like you know uh that's giving somebody extra 20 dollars a month for groceries i'm just playing devil's advocate here (laughs) where it's just like that's you know maybe maybe it would be uh covering like a good chunk of the inflation jump for groceries over the last year maybe but yeah, I, I agree. It's like it's it's really not going to make a difference in um, in the average person or yeah. in anybody's. <laughs> I mean, um, it, it, I, I will say like, and I'm not trying to be biased in anything or you know for 
current situations of government. But I, I personally do think it's helpful. Like, I mean, I understand under your guys' perspective that it's really nothing more than like a doubling of the GST. And I also kind of like a 50-50 side where it's like, if you're concerned about an extra $234 or an extra 467 depending on the size of your family and however many you know children involved, um, if you're looking at that amount to say this is going to save me, I think there's a different issue at hand, obviously. But mm-hmm. I do think it is a little bit of support. That's just me personally. Um, mm-hmm. I don't overly mind it, but that's, I mean, obviously, I think there's better ways to do it. I think there's always a better way to do something. Yeah. I mean, they're always trying to look for ways to to help people out. And um, yeah, so I, I think, you know, it's a 50-50. Nothing's ever perfect, mm-hmm. but I do think that there's some benefits to it. But I do yeah. see your guys' point as well. Okay. And okay. one thing I just will say is that, like, I think one thing I do like about it is that it's actually, like, putting money into the hands of people who are, like, being hurt most by yeah. Um, yeah. by inflation. So, but Right. Right. Fair enough. So that's at least one positive. <laughs> there we go. All right. So. On to the next one here. Um, I guess you guys were talking about this one earlier, <laughs> yeah. uh, going back and forth, but the federal student loan interest eliminated it April 1st. This is very interesting. Um, yeah. Tim, you want to you... touch on this? Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, not a whole lot to it. April 1st. Uh, so obviously this wasn't a budget item since it happened April 1st. So before the federal budget came out and before our, uh, but yeah, so April 1st, uh, federal student loan interest is eliminated. Uh, and actually, one other thing, too, to kind of throw on top of that is that they increased uh, the net income or the income. I'm not sure if it's net, but the income that you can pause your uh, pause your student loan payments from 25000 to 40000 So just if you're uh yeah like you know if you're out of school and maybe you got your bachelor in philosophy and you're making thirty thousand dollars a year then like there's options to be able to uh to be able to pause your student loans philosophy there (laughs) oh gosh people who listen to who has a bachelor in philosophy probably hate us yeah i'm getting canceled i i think one of the the philosophers Oh, jeez, Timmy. So <laughs> I'm just going to focus here. Uh, so that means people aren't still have to repay their student loan, but they yeah. don't have to pay interest on it now? There's no interest on student loans? Is that what you're saying? Uh, so I, I think like kind of the big thing with that is that like you're able to put your um, principal payments even like on pause. Uh, so that that's with the net like with the income jump from 25 to 40 is that you're even able to put principal on pause until you're making $40,000 a year. Um, but yeah, with the student loan interest, anybody who has student loans, they don't have to pay federal interest, but they are still paying provincial interest if their province, uh, like requires them to pay, which I think mm-hmm. all of the provinces are still requiring, um, which, interest there. Yeah. Cause the provinces means... can't just print money like the feds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. what, what, I wonder what would happen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, yeah, one yeah, thing actually, would... go ahead. Tom, oh, sorry. One thing actually Eric kind of pointed out before. The podcast is that for anybody who has like a student loan, uh, a student loan interest deduction is like this will decrease your student loan interest deduction. So if you're paying like a ton of interest every year, you you may like you'll see that number go down a little bit and it'll have like a small effect on your tax return. I don't think it'll be enormous, but it'll it'll be a bit of an effect. 
Yeah, I think basically what you mean by that is even though you're not having to pay that additional interest on, like, you know, whatever your payment plan is set up for paying that money back, even though you don't have to pay that, you can't deduct that on your return anymore, but that's only federally. So again, like what Tim said, provincially, depending on what your jurisdiction allows, um, still make sure that uh, that that's taking place, but not federally well, anymore. It'd be like kind of depending on what, like on the, the interest rate of your jurisdiction. Correct. Yes, so, correct. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's basically it about that. I guess, uh, well, hey, anything um, else to discuss? No, not in terms of that. Uh, inflation last year was uh, was high, as everyone knows. I think it came down to the la- latest inflation report, 4.3%, I believe, in Canada now. Yeah. Um, as a result, mm-hmm. uh, the federal income tax has gone up. So that's a change that uh, I guess every yeah. year kind of goes up a little bit. Uh, this year, it went up quite significantly, I think, uh, indexed by 6.3%. So um, that basically basically means that if you were, I'm, I don't know, I don't have the tax bracket in front of me. If last year at $100,000 income, you were taxed at a certain bracket. Now this year, you have to make $106,000 just exactly. to be taxed at the same level. So uh, that's yeah. a, I guess that's a good thing. That means less taxes uh, overall in general. Uh, so that's a change that happens. I guess the typical also change in there would be like CPP uh, contribution at the same time going up um, in terms of income. And uh, every one of us usually knows that because every year your contribution, if if you make more than the limit, then you're paying a little bit more every single year, which kind of sucks, kind of offsets that whole income tax bracket situation. But yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Uh, okay. So what else is new here? Uh Talk about the topic that all of us love, uh, the carbon tax. Uh, something oh, that uh, doesn't hit careful. every button. Not every country has this. So I like how the WTI, the the oil uh, barrel is st- still around the 80 something dollars per barrel. And our gas continues to go up. And people think it's because oil is going up. But uh, oil has actually stayed, stayed relatively the same. Um, since i don't know half a year ago except uh, when uh, the war started uh, initially last year but uh let's talk on the carbon tax uh what's i guess it's pretty straightforward but uh if you want to bash it or whatever feel free yeah yeah i mean nothing uh too crazy with this one um okay. in saskatchewan the uh yeah like the charge on a liter of gasoline increased by three cents uh per liter mm-hmm. so i mean yeah it's it's nothing too crazy but i mean i i think a lot of us are kind of like oh man like you know um stuff is already so expensive but um on, on the plus side though uh at least our carbon tax rebates are going up so that's it's, it's um, nice yeah so There's like my yeah, my quarterly payment went up from 137 and 50 cents to 170 bucks nice so, yeah, well, was... the the only other downfalls in whoever <clears throat> uh, goes about doing their uh, finance spreadsheets, as uh, you know, that we are all fans of. There is the unfortunate increase in that budget, but that's okay. I'm sure that yeah. that'll offset with what uh, you get in that quarterly payment, like you mentioned, Tim. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's one of those things too that, like, um, you know, to to whatever extent it may be, it'll it will affect everything because you know fuel is what transports goods fuel is what uh keeps the lights on uh in, in stores so i mean it's 
and even just like uh you know uh like farmers uh they i believe they purchase a bunch of stuff that uses uh where they have to pay carbon tax on that so um i mean even if you're not getting hit directly you are uh you are getting hit in a lot of indirect ways as well but but i mean i guess at least at least your uh, carbon tax rebate is going up there's <laughs> always a bonus with it good stuff yeah, i guess it's almost the end of tax season oh. it's uh, you have to file by may 1st so i guess by the time this episode comes out it'll be basically like almost the basically oh, i'm just gonna comment on that quickly well just because i don't know how that i caught that but i guess that's the accountant in me when when will says may 1st just know that that's because april 30th falls on a weekend hey so it's normally april 30th but because it's not as because it's on a weekend they're extending it to that april 1st but just know that uh, may 1st sorry thank you oh my god i got those dates mixed up thank <laughs> you even though i caught that there's me screwing up on that one but yeah, thanks, Eric, for uh, pointing that out. Because uh, yeah, so May first uh, this year, file your tax return. Uh, Tim touched on uh, why you should file your tax return. This is pretty basic, but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So really, the big thing is that there's, I guess, the two big things are one that there's benefits that um, that you can only get if you file your tax return. So if you're in a situation where you're receiving GST. Um, if you're in a situation where, I, I mean, everybody in certain provinces, I know Saskatchewan's one of them, uh, where, uh, you get the climate action incentive, right? And that's based off of you being, you having filed your tax return. So you need to file your tax return if you're going to get the climate action incentive. So yeah, that's really the big thing. Even the, uh, in Saskatchewan, we had this thing where the premier was like, Hey, I'm giving 500 bucks to anybody who has their tax returns filed. So, um, we received the, that $500 last year. Um, so yeah, that's like one of the big things. The other big thing is that for the average person, you're going to end up in a refund position. So ultimately the government's just holding on to your money and not giving you any interest for it when you could be yeah investing that money, paying off debt, whatever the case may be. So really that's, that's the big things about like filing your taxes and and for me just as as an accountant it's your legal obligation so do it because of that as well <laughs> i feel we got real business serious there for a second yeah that accounting was... is no joke <laughs> taxes is no joke yeah it's it's pretty serious business yeah i just think probably everyone thinks that they pay enough in income taxes and everything throughout the years so in order to see what you can get back and like tim says contribute to some sort of investment or savings or maybe spend a little mm -hmm. bit on yourself uh you won't know what applies to you and what you can get back in return basically without filing those so i know a lot of people including a lot of my family are kind of like oh taxes god i don't want to do these well, if that's the case, you can just go to Tim and hire him. I, I think his hourly rate's pretty cheap. No, I'm not just kidding, Tim. <laughs> um, but no, it's it it's uh it's important to do. Um, it keeps your. I mean, obviously, you don't really want to be sending maybe Siri a lot of information all the time, but it, it's important just to know what's going on and to get all credits and deductions uh, applicable to you. Um, I guess taking advantage of. I'm not sure how else to say that, but making sure you claim what is rightfully yours and uh, move forward with uh, getting the money back deserving, I guess. So, yeah, I, I was just figuring if I can touch on one more thing here. Um, that was like a segue, but yeah, no, no. Um, yeah. I mean, just come in like, uh, like, sure. Like, oh, the next, like the one, the last thing I just want to quickly touch on or whatever. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. All right. Yeah. 
Um, one other thing just before we uh, before we end this episode here that I'd just like to quickly touch on is um, so there's there's this rental benefit that that actually just finished. Uh, it, it was to people with thirty five thousand dollars family income or twenty thousand dollars individual income. Let's not get too much into it because it's finished, but that as well as the new dental benefit that the government offer started offering this last year for people with income under family income under ninety thousand dollars um where they can receive up to 650 bucks per kid if they aren't covered by uh by dental insurance um so there's these two programs uh the the rental one um they're figuring about 44 percent of people who are eligible ended up receiving it and just over half of the people who are eligible for the dental benefit ended up receiving it. I'm just like they're saying that these programs are actually kind of a massive flop, um, just because of the fact that not many people were uh, were using them. I'm just curious if you guys have any thoughts on to why those weren't used. Well, that's tough. Um, Knowledge. Yeah, that, that's guess, it. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, straight yeah, up fair. it because that's fair, most yeah. people who are. Uh, I'm not saying most people who are lower income whatsoever, but they probably don't pay attention to this stuff. And right. uh, so they just, it's knowledge. They're not claiming it. Yeah. And that's a lot. That's a lot of things with taxes. It's it's complicated. So most people don't bother claiming it. You got medical expenses, medical trips, mm-hmm. et cetera, gluten, allergies, all that. Like people don't realize that they can claim half the stuff that they can claim. So uh, yeah. it's just pure knowledge. I guess yeah. the thing, that's why it's important to, I'm not trying to, uh, have people go spend money on going to talk with a professional, but I think that's important to go and talk with the professional about it because they will be able to identify these deductions and credits that are applicable to you so that these programs could actually be worthwhile and not viewed as like Tim said, like like basically a flaw. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Even like one other thought that I had, which like I could be totally wrong on this, but like with you just kind of like look at how the CERB program rolled out and just um all these people who applied who aren't actually eligible i wonder if that's like even causing some fear into people into applying for these if they're like oh they're talking about adjusted net family income like what the heck is that even and um you know just people wondering if like oh if i end up applying will they end up being like oh yeah actually you didn't qualify so i don't know just uh just a thought that i had but but yeah i do i do think that it's um availability of information and like getting the message out there that's mm-hmm. that is the biggest issue yeah but, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay well um good to be back thanks everyone for listening and uh we have uh i guess we'll get back to it kind of thing it's uh yeah we've got miro lined up again for another yeah, one coming up yeah. here so we're pretty pumped about that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he wants to answer some uh pension questions and things like that so uh if you are, I guess, a uh, six-figure millennial or uh, anyone or seven-figure millennial and close, et cetera, uh, if you want to come on the show, feel free to message us at financialclassroom at gmail.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, other than that, uh, thanks for listening, guys, and uh, do your taxes and stay safe. <laughs> yeah, guys, take Enjoy care. Enjoy spring, guys. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more episodes and financial tips, check out our Facebook page, The Financial Classroom. And if you like this podcast, 
Feel free to subscribe and leave us a review on our various podcast platforms. Later.